You're listening to Real Estate Investing Talks, a Simply Do It podcast. Your journey to success in real estate investment starts right here, right now. Here's Danny Bate Orr. Okay. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Um, if you're on, uh, on our live, feel free to do some likes and uh, post some comments. It does help kind of uh, promote the live to others so they know something is going on. So that would be appreciated. Um, if you have questions regarding the topic today, then uh, by all means, post them and we will. Uh, that's the whole point. I do those lives um, primarily to give an opportunity for a Q&A, for a discussion and not just bring my own topic, although I always do. I'm just going to start with a personal note. Uh, 10 minutes ago, even not even 10 minutes ago, I received a link to a property that we are listing today in the Tampa area. This is a flip, probably my biggest flip ever. Maybe not ever, but it's one of the biggest flips I've ever done. Um, A property, a nice looking house. Let me just put it this, this way. A really nice house on one acre in one of the Tampa suburbs. Um, it took about three and a half months to renovate and 200,000-ish, a little bit over 200,000 to, to, um, to, uh, to work. And finally, it is listed as of about 10 minutes ago. So we are live with this property. The hard part is over. Now we only need to sell it. So finger crossed, but I'm, but I'm very, very excited because it's a really, it's a nice piece of real estate. I you know it's uh, one that I'm... Uh, um, I wouldn't uh, mind uh, keeping for myself. Uh, it's a beautiful house, large house, so I'm excited about that. <clears throat> okay, we're not here to talk about the flip of this house today. I just wanted to mention it because that just uh, happened uh, not even 10 minutes ago or just about 10 minutes ago. What I want to talk about today is about the, something that comes up um, in my discussions with investors, beginner and experience, every once in a while. It's not a, you know... It's maybe not the most concerning topic, but it's up there probably around the, the top 10 that I hear quite a lot. And that's actually the fact that you, if you're looking to buy multiple properties, should you buy them in one area or should you actually, uh, thank you, uh, Gabriela, uh, should, you, should you actually diversify? Um, and I'm just going to tell you how I came to the conclusion, how to go about it. Uh, myself. So when I started um, some 16 years ago and more picked up the pace some 14 years ago, I thought my logic was it's good to diversify. Let's buy, let's buy obviously multiple properties that always, uh, that was, that's still, it was and still, you know, the game plan and put them in many markets. Because you put them in many areas, then you diversify, right? If, if you put one in Oklahoma and one in, in, in Orlando and one in Dallas, yeah, if something happened to the local economy, um, this area, you know, the one property is in, in danger and, um, you know, the others are not. That's, or, or, you know, that was the logic that makes perfect sense to me. I think it still makes perfect sense. However, after you accumulate quite a few properties, and by the way, if you have questions, feel free to, you know, to post them. I'll take them throughout or after. But <clears throat> when you have uh, uh, multiple properties, and I'm not talking about multiple two, three, or four, I'm talking about much more than that, and you diversify and put those properties in, in areas around the country, 
while you're trying to diversify and create some safety for yourself, and that, that's very, uh, that makes a lot of sense, what my experience has been is you're paying in, you know, in, a, in a different way. You're actually having a little bit of a penalty in a different way. Let's just, let's just say for a second you have 10 properties in 10 markets, one per market. That mostly means you are working with 10 different property management companies, maybe seven, maybe one is covering more than one, maybe even seven property management companies, each managing one to two properties of your own, total 10 properties. Now, when you work with multiple property management companies, your managerial supervision, administration time increases. So that means, you know, to simplify it, it will be much easier on you to work with one property management company in one area or maybe, you know, two areas, you know, but dealing with one interfacing into one company, one service provider, in order to consolidate all your efforts instead of dealing with 10 or 7 property management companies on the same number of properties. I have found that this is something that I've, I have underestimated because every property management company has their own thing. They do things a little bit differently, you know, on that aspect and a little bit differently on this aspect. One is good with communication, one is good with accounting, one is good with, with uh, uh, you know, uh, posting photos, one is not. Everybody is different, right? And you have to maintain or support that relationship, you know, with all those companies. So my experience has been like, I've, you know, a <clears throat> few years in and multiple properties in, I realize, well, it's not... Overtaking, not you know, taking all of my time, it does take a burden, an extra burden, than if I just had, let's say, five properties in one metro and another five properties in another metro, two property management companies or so, and that helps you know, kind of consolidate the efforts. There is no, there's less noise in the system. The more service providers you need to supervise, the more noise in the system you have. So I just thought that I need, I want to tone down the noise that is created by multiple property management companies and consolidate. So that has been kind of, I've grew into the, the realization that it's probably better not to spread into 10 markets and 10 pro property management companies or so, but actually consolidate and maybe do five or less or more, you know, in one area with one property management company. Um, I think the, the risk of diversification or not diversification versus the effort that is required in maintaining multiple relationships, you know, kind of the, the, the effort is overtaking that risk of diversification. That's just my take. Now, sometimes people tell, you know, when I tell them that, they say, so what is your number? Would you say five per market, three per market, 10 per market? That I don't know. It's a very personal question, a very personal in the sense, what is your belief system? What is your, you know, uh, um, own inner, 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 uh, um, uh, inner understanding of the situation? I have investors that, have, that do five before they move to another metro. And I have investors who do 10 before they move to another metro. So that is something uh, that, uh, that would, uh, uh, each one would be a little bit different. Of course, we got to put it in reality. Sometimes we will buy, you know, even if our goal is to buy five in one area before we, we move over to another, then we may, you know, try to accomplish the purchase of five. But then we see at number four, after the fourth one, the market picked up and it doesn't make any sense to buy there anymore. We'll move. I mean, it's not something set in stone. But what I'm trying to make is, don't, you know, don't necessarily immediately, you know, come to the conclusion of I need to diversify and I need to spread in multiple markets. I'm not sure, you know, there's a lot of common sense to it, 
but less common, you know, reality from the trenches or from the, you know, from the administrative side of it. So don't make that assumption right off the bat. Maybe, you know, if you want to be a little bit less conservative or, you know, or, or, or more conservative, about it, say, you know what, I'll buy two per market and not five. You know, it's a little bit easier. So just something to think about and not immediately have the intuition to diversify. Now, if you're buying three, and you, and you say, listen, I don't care. I'm only going to manage three, maintain three relationships with property manager. That's okay. That's not a problem. That's relatively easy. But if you want to scale up, which I think most, most of my investors or many of my investors do, then that's something you want to think about. So that's all I wanted to say about this. Don't immediately assume you need to diversify in multiple markets. Now I see there's a question coming in. What criteria you choose when selecting which markets to focus on? Excellent question, and let me tell you, and hello, Tal, good to see you, uh, my friend, or I should say my, my, uh, my distant cousin. Um, um, Alon, this is a, a very good question, and let me give you my, uh, my answer the way I go about it. So I have, <clears throat> um, I have uh, multiple criteria that I'm considering, and it goes like this. Number one, Number one is I want to go into a metro that the, um, that the population is at least 1.5 million people and up, the metro. So that means Oklahoma City works, Tampa works, Nashville works, other, Dallas, Houston, no problem. That's easy, okay? So that's number one. Number two, I, want to, I, I like to go to metros that have diversification in terms of employment. So that means a lot, multiple major employers, okay, big employers, you know, it can be whatever they are. It can be government and it can be uh, uh, construction and it can be hospitality and banking. Uh, so I want to see that there's multiple big employers and, and representing multiple industries. Doesn't have to be many industries, but multiple industries. So that means even if I go to an area, Oklahoma City, you know, is a good, a good example. I'm just using it as an example because it qualifies on all those aspects, although I think it has a little bit more exposure to the energy, especially into you know the oil. So when the oil you know price went down, you know and stayed down for quite some time, Oklahoma City did you know suffered a little bit. It didn't crash, but you could see there is a correlation between the oil prices staying low at low for a lengthy period of time to the jobs, you know, in some of the jobs. So the market still did well, which gives us, you know, which makes Oklahoma City actually good, but it wasn't completely resistant to the oil prices. So Oklahoma City, you know, actually passed the test of, of, uh, uh, of a down, you know, like a, like a, a little, a little uh, you know, a ding, you know, on, on the economy, but it, it's not, you know, it's not like it flew throughout without any hiccups. It did. Even Houston had a little bit of hiccups, you know, not a lot when the oil prices went down. Again, it, barely, it was rarely felt, but it was there. You know, the major adjustment that happened in 2016 when the oil prices went down in Houston is that the projection for job growth in 2016 was cut by half. So that means instead of 160,000 60,000 jobs, Houston was projected to add in 2016 it only had about half of that not bad but that was the major adjustment right there so I'll just give you an example I'm up, I hope I'm not getting too technical or too, too detailed um, so we talked about metro size uh, you know the, the, the representation of multiple industries and major employers 
We want to make sure, you know, I like to follow the demographic patterns and demographic patterns in the U.S. If you go back and if you go, you know, projected to the future, you will see that there's a lot of migration going from the Midwest and some of the Northeast down to the Southern states and the West. Okay. So it, it, you can see that pattern, you know, been, been going on for quite some time. If you go to our website, simplydoit.net and look for migration patterns or search for that, you will see that we're getting every year at the beginning of the year, um, um, one of the biggest, bigger uh, um, uh, house mover, home movers in the United States. Those guys don't do local moves. They do the big rigs, you know, across the country. They track how many moves they had from one state versus how many moves they had, you know, to another state. And they say in, in 2016, Texas had seen more people moving in than people moving out, just as an example. So we have that. You all have similar, um, you know, uh, demographic, or oh, oh, sorry, tracking. So you can see that there is, this is, there is a trend going to the southern states. If you think about the southern states as a growth, if you're buying a house for a rental and you're going to hold it for many years, 5 to 10 for 15, you want to go into an area that is showing growth patterns. So I want to have a, a consistently buyers and renters coming in rather than going to an area that is shrinking. So obviously, I know it's, it's, it's obvious, but people still don't follow those trends. They just follow more herd. I see more and more people or a lot of people that they're following the herd. They're not following the trend. Um, and my, the trend I'm talking about is not what's going on at the moment. You know, here, you know, in a demographic pattern on a, on a, on a long-term investment, following a one-year pattern or, or, or trend, that's not really a good thing to do. I mean, otherwise, I would buy in, in South Dakota near the oil rigs, and now everything crashed. I did it for that reason. So, um, so demographic, you know, trends, long-term demographic trends is important. Um, of course, prices, how much I can buy and how much I can rent for. That's very, very important. I mean, I want to make sure I can still buy for a reasonable amount of money, you know, and it will rent. Let me give you two examples. Um, um, Dallas, I can find a decent house for 175000 in a good area that will probably rent for, uh, let's say, 1600 1650 a month. You know, that's something I can do, um, in, you know, in, again, in a good area, 175000 a 3-2, probably 10, 15 years old. Uh, with a two-car garage in A schools, B schools, um, you know, very cookie-cutter, uh, boring community in the suburbs. That would be in Dallas, um, which followed that type of a trend. If you go to Portland, which has a good trend of migration in, so Portland is on the path for uh, uh, growth migration. Absolutely, Oregon seems on that, uh, on that uh, um, in increase in migration and has a lot of Everything that I talked about earlier in, in you know, the, the, the places I would consider to buy, Portland fits that bill. The only problem I have with Portland, I wish I didn't, uh, but the only problem, and we just did a, I just did an, another analysis on Portland a week ago, a $350,000-ish, $1,000 home, maybe three hundred, dollars gets rented for $2,000, maybe $2,500. Even with 25%, I can't make the numbers work. I mean, it's still going to be small negative cash flow. That's for me a problem. And I'm really, I really tried to find, I did an, an optimistic analysis, not trying to see how, why Portland wouldn't work. I did 25% down and I, I, I estimated lower prices than what actually people are asking, a little bit higher rent. So I really massaged it to, to, you know, 
to a, to a positive outlook, and I just couldn't make the, you know, make the numbers work. It's still going to be 300-ish and up, and the cash flow is not there. Portland is great, follows everything except one thing, you know, the migration pattern. Uh, sorry, the, uh, the cash flow or the, the numbers. Uh, and lastly, the, you know, I would probably say um, I like to go to areas around the country that the laws are favor favoring the landlord. If, ha if I need to, um, um, if I get to a situation of an eviction, I want to I be able to do it quickly and cheaply. So I can put the house back on a, you know, on a producing uh, you know, position as quickly as possible. Now, that's trivial. Um, you know, to think, but some states around the country, that's not the case. California is not very, um, favor, you know, friendly to homeowners. On the contrary, usually the rule of thumb is this. You go to a blue state, a democratic state, typically the laws are going to be favoring uh, the tenant. If you go to a red state, Republican state, it's, you know, it's the other way around. I had few evictions in my career. Usually it took about two weeks, maybe 10 days to two weeks, and cost anywhere from, you know, the cheapest one was probably $215, and the most expensive one was probably $670, and that's including the sheriff and the locksmith. You know, so that's, you know, even, you know, I, I spend even a little bit more. So that's, for me, is, it's critical. I want to be able to get out of that house or out of that situation and put it back to, uh, you know, to producing uh, property. Now, some people say, listen, how many evictions are you going to run into? What's the big deal? I mean, you're not, you know, facing evictions all the time. And that's true, but... Think about the tenant for a second. If you're a tenant in a red state and you know the setting is not in your favor, what would you do, right? You're probably not going to be favoring to, to cause any problems. You're going to avoid it to begin with. If you're in an area that the setting is favoring you and, you're gonna know, and you know it's going to give hard time to the, to the owner, what, what, what is your mindset now? So just to give you a little, you know, a little, uh, um, a little thinking about how I look at it, it's not just the eviction. It's also what the eviction uh, laws are, are creating or the environment they're setting up, you know, more for success. So that, those are the main things that I look into when I select an area around the country. Yeah. Hi, Sharon. Good to see you. Any other questions? Sometimes it takes Facebook a minute, a minute to populate to, you know, questions. So I'm just going to wait and I'll see if there are other questions. Related to the topic of today, not related to the topic of today, no problem. Hello, George. Thank you for joining. If you like my answers, hit, hit uh, you know, uh, like, so it will help uh, others see. Um, which metro did you first invest in? Ah, okay. Um, my first property I bought when I was uh, a young uh, person working for the corporate Israel, living in Tel Aviv. Buying sight unseen, uh, remotely, completely remotely from Tel Aviv. I bought my first home uh, in the metro of Phoenix, uh, um, in one of the same cities. A brand new home from the builder, 1,500-ish, 3-2, two-car garage. We knew, you know, when I went there, eventually, you know, when it was already built and, and, uh, um, and built and rented, and I, I think I saw it for the first time maybe two and a half years after owning it, I drove down the street and I could barely find my own house because they all look just the same. I mean, they really look just the same, which is fine. You know, I don't have a problem with it. It just, you know, uh, uh, makes me uh, laugh every time. But that was uh, um, um, 
uh, you know, kind of interesting observation. So great house, did, you know, uh, it did very, very well for me, you know, that house, uh, you know, it was my first, it wasn't easy, you know, to begin with, I had, a, you know, my first vacancy was 45 days, which made me very, very nervous. I was going, you know, kind of nuts. I, I, I thought it's going to rent very quickly, like with, within a day. That's what I thought. I don't know why. Uh, and, but that was a good investment altogether. So um, can't complain. Altogether, the first tenant to move in stayed for the family, uh, stayed there for five and a half years. So that's, that's a, no, no complaints here. And the house did very well because I bought it in 2002. Most of you know what happened in 2004-05. That house um, did translate to at least four more houses. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Hi, Shoshi. Good to see you. Uh, Paz, hello. Good to see you. Thank you for joining. Uh, let's see. George, which metro is your favorite to invest in? Well, George, this is an excellent question. I'm, go I'm just going to say this. Um, I have my own favorites. I can tell you right now, it changes. Right now, I really like Nashville and I really like Tampa right now for me. Okay, I want to, you know, to emphasize, I am different than some of you guys in the sense of my experience, in the sense of my objectives, financially, all of those things. So when people ask me that question, I'm always hesitant to really give you, the, give you an answer because my answer is, you know, if you base it on my answer, it may not be the right one for you. Maybe financially, you're looking for something different. Maybe financially, you know, you cannot afford, you know, I'm just, you know, I don't know you, but let's say you cannot afford Nashville, it's too expensive. So I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to give you a, you know, a clear-cut answer. The way I work with investors is when we talk about, uh, when we work together, we help decide together which of the markets we are in are best suitable for their needs, not for my needs, because it's not about me, it's about the investor. So I, I gave you an answer because you asked, but I want you also to take it with, uh, with, with cautious and not immediately think, oh, this is the right one for you. It could be, um, but I, obviously I don't know you at all. And thank you for asking uh, to give you a, an honest you know, opinion, which if we talk one-on-one, -on -one, I'll be happy to provide you with an honest opinion relevant to you, not to me. What is your take on commercial properties and are you working on such market as well? Um, I just want to um, emphasize, when you talk about a loan on commercial properties, do you mean like shopping centers, uh, office building, or you're more referring to, let's say, multifamily units, uh, in, you know, like small apartment buildings? Because I think sometimes there's a, I'm not sure when someone, yes, all. Okay. All right. Thanks. Um, so honestly, I've been a single family home junkie for all my career. I'll be, I'll be very honest. I've done a little bit of commercial, very, very small commercial. I can't even, every time I say it, I feel like I'm not being, you know, it's, it's, it's so small. It's, you know, it's not even, I can't even say I really did commercial. I don't, I don't consider it uh, really investing in commercial. It was a small thing. Um, I'm not a big fan, personally, a big fan of commercial buildings such as offices, strip malls, uh, stuff like that, just because either the price point um, um, it's just not my, my comfort zone. Um, I have not, I've done, I think uh, duplex maybe once or twice. I can't remember exactly. Could be. Um, but I was a very big fan of just single family homes, you know, most of my career. And I'm now shifting over to, uh, multifamily. We are under contract right now for a nine unit building, excuse me, in Indianapolis. 
Um, honestly, it's I would say it's a much it's probably twenty times more challenging to decide what to do with this building than a single family home. So if I want an easy life, single family home, easy, simple, straightforward. If I want a complicated life, obviously, you know, a multi-building, uh, you know, it is. So that's number one. Number two, um, when I look at the, um, you know, the reason I, I stayed and I still am a very much single family home junkie for flipping and rentals, because we do both, uh, is because the, in the U.S., the U.S. economy is very much dependent on households. Households in the U.S., for the most part, live in single-family homes. I know some of you are maybe in the Bay, in San Francisco Bay Area or other parts of the country that in real estate is quite expensive, and that's not really the case. So if someone here is from the Bay Area and they're thinking, you know, they're taking my answer, say, what are you talking about? People here live in condos and and you know the townhomes and stuff like that and that's actually what peop most people right in the bay area you're absolutely right move the bay area out of that e equation because it's an exception in other areas around the country so when you take the san francisco bay area when you take new york city and maybe a few other pockets and you say those are not representing because they stand they represent about 20 million people in the u.s you know where are you know all the 300 and 20, 330 million people, other million people live, right? Not all of them is single-family homes, but a big majority of them, okay? Even LA is mostly single-family home, or a lot of single-family home, a huge metro. So when you're talking about uh, single-family home, it's a very stable vehicle, financial vehicle. It's a, it's a, a very liquid, relatively type of real estate. Go out and sell your multifamily, your commercial building. It may take you a year, maybe three, I don't know. Go out and sell your, your uh, uh, single-family home. You know, it could take a year, but probably, you know, if, it, if it's taken a year, there's probably wrong with, wrong with how you're listing it, right? You, the price, the look, you know, something is wrong. Usually it doesn't take that long. Obviously, when you put a single-family home for sale, the market of potential buyers is huge. When you put a, even a 20-unit a, you know, building, even a 15-unit building, right, for sale, the market is very small. Relatively, it's very small. So it's not very liquid. So single-family homes tend to be very, uh, uh, you know, they're very good with, with liquidity relatively to real estate um, to sustain, you know, when, the, when, the, when things crash, people from the, from the office building, they, you know, when things crash, the economy crashes, then, then the people at the office, they're kind of scaling down and saying, you know what? Let's rent a smaller office space. And you know what? Let's all move to our home offices and we meet once a week in a WeWork or something like that. So people can scale back home, right? And, and they will drop up the office. And we would see that, by the way, the last crash proved that. So that, for me, creates a less of a safety environment. I'm not against it, but I'm not a big fan of that. I want to be liquid. I want to, you know, if you own a multifamily and you need to, and you need some cash, you know, you need, it's hard to liquidate a you know, portion of a, you know, a multifamily. It's very easy to liquidate one or two properties from your portfolio of single family homes. So that's just, you know, advantages and disadvantages. I'm not saying, you know, it's right or wrong. I'm just saying things to consider when you're, when you're thinking about it. Okay. Hopefully that helps, you know, uh, uh, help you, you know, with, with your question. Thank you for the question alone. Um, would you buy a house for $50,000? What is the biggest what is the biggest problems 
with the cheaper single semi houses? Excellent, excellent question. Let me answer it in a very complex way. Would I buy a house for $50,000 in today's market? Probably not. You know what? No. Okay. Well, never say never, but no. Okay. Now, let me tell you why. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's all about your objectives. Typically, when you buy around this country a $50,000 home, it looks like this, typically. A, you know, a not very good area or neighborhood to begin with, right? Not necessarily all crime, you know, or, or drug dealers in the street, not necessarily, but still not a very good income, you know, er, you know income or household income, you know, area. Low grade schools, older home, smaller home, for me, that's a recipe to invite a lot of noise in your life, okay? When I say noise in your life, I want my investments to be, and you know, what we do for our investors to be, as much as possible, buy and forget. Now, it's not a buy and forget you know, methodology. And when I say buy and forget, ideally, I wanna buy a house, not deal with anything, collect the rent checks until one day I wanna sell it. That would be the buy and forget ideal. It doesn't exist, right? There's always something going on. Tenant moves in, tenant moves out, house is vacant, there's a repair, there's this, there's that. That's the noise that comes with ownership. The question I have for you, Paz, that you're asking, how much of that noise do you want? Because when you buy the cheaper house, right, the smaller house in a, in a, in a, in a lower income area, you know, a lower, not low, lower income area, there's a very good chance you'll have more noise coming from the property and the tenant. Not always, but there's a very good chance. Versus... You buy the nice house for $100,000 more, let's just say, or maybe even $50,000 more, okay? Um, and you buy that house in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a nice community, good schools, right? You, it attracts the type of tenant that has good income, not necessarily wealthy, but good stable income, good job, many times both of them work, with the kids. It's big enough to have the kids and the parents and the dog, and to send their kid, and they're sending the kids to school, and that creates almost somewhat of a stability, right? Again, it's not a guarantee that it will have no issue, but it's a higher chance that you will avoid potential issues that are based on on, on financials. For me, that's a very attractive, you know, proposition for me, and I, I call it the most boring type of real estate. The more boring it is, the more I like it. That's just me. Okay, so this is what I wanted, uh, uh, you know, hopefully, I'm not sure what you said uh, in your comment with none, maybe you can uh, elaborate, I don't know if it's, uh, uh, what does it mean, but hopefully that helps. And by the way, don't take for a second that I have the right answer, um, and you have the wrong one by going to 50,000, not at all. That's quite all right, I know people do that, you know, they have, uh, it's just a different, you know, a different way to go about it, that's the only difference, it's not right or wrong, again, it's what your objectives, I want noise-free, okay? I have two cheap houses, by the way. I have, because I, I, one day I decided I need to do an experiment. Seriously, I just did an experiment. I bought, I call it my own R&D. I bought two cheap houses, right? In a, in, a, in a working class in Oklahoma City. Right now, two, two and a half years in, I'm probably looking at, uh, yeah, I would say 20, 25% vacancy rate. 20, 25% vacancy. Nice houses, they're not bad, right? They're just not that attractive. So right now, you know, one, you know, one has been vacant for three months, maybe coming on four. The other one was also. So 
I wouldn't say it's a good, you know, it seems like every time a tenant, you know, it, you know, moves out. And by the way, in that period of time, I had one eviction already, right? So two houses, okay area, low class, not an excellent, you know, uh, experience. Uh, it's okay, you know, I'm not too concerned about it. Good. Very good. All right. Good to see you, Eliran. Hope everything is okay. I'll wait here for another minute or so, see if there are any additional questions, great questions. By the way, I just want to say, I'll take this opportunity to say two things, or three things. Number one, we hold the live session, you know, more of a Q&A every week at this time, um, right, you know, um, a weekly Friday. Um, so I know some of you are, you know, wait, you know late at night, uh, so we have that. The second thing is, I think I saw one or two of my investors, meaning they're already a client of ours, and I just want to tell you that at 12.30 California time, which is about an hour from now, we're holding a closed session. A closed session is, a, you know, it's just for our active investors. We started doing a weekly session for Q&A to see what's, what's you know, the challenges. This is not open to the public. It's only, you know, to the uh, Simply Do It investors that are actively searching, actively looking, actively investing and have some challenges, so we're doing a group session as well, not live here, it's a, you know, it's a, a different format. So if, if you are one of my investors and you are um, not, did not receive the email, now you know. Uh, you can contact me or Kenny if you need uh, the details how to join in one hour today. We will record it as well, so you can access it you know, later. And then lastly, I'm just gonna add, so um, a little appreciation. So I'm putting a link, if you want, to our ebook. Hey, Kenny. So Kenny uh, uh, is here as well. He's my awesome assistant, doing great job. Thank you, Kenny, for all the help. You're awesome. You really are awesome. Um, I put a link to our ebook. It's free, simple read, not uh, you know, not complicated, straightforward. Feel free to download it. If you're downloading it, I only ask you one thing. Give us a feedback. You know, I don't care how. You know, you want to put it online, perfect. You want to send it to me, you know, uh, uh, personally through whatever messaging system, I don't care. I would love to, to get your feedback. So if you're reading and you're, you know, you want to take the trouble, a little appreciation, send us a feedback. Say, Danny, I loved it. I didn't. I didn't really. I don't care. I, I want to get the feedback, so that would be much appreciated. If you're on the, you know, on the recording, I'm just going to say the ebook is simplydoit.net slash ebook. Simplydoit.net slash ebook. I'm recording this as an audio as well, so we can put it on our podcast. We have a podcast channel, and it's there as well. Perfect. I think plenty of announcement to the, for now. I'll, uh, I, I don't see any additional questions coming in, so I want to thank everyone from... How, Wherever you are on the globe, different time zones, I really appreciate Friday night taking the time. You know, that shows character. Friday night, real estate, not sitting with the family. Awesome, guys. Um, and if you have any specific questions you want to talk to me, let me know. I'll be happy to, uh, to talk to you. I want to wish everyone a great weekend. And see you next week on the next live in, you know, in one week from now and maybe even sooner. Very good. Thank you, everyone. Have a good night. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye.
Congratulations, you're one step closer to success in real estate investment. You've been listening to Real Estate Investing Talks with Danny Bateor. To learn how Simply Do It can guide you through the real estate investment process and achieve nationwide success, visit us on the web at simplydoit.net. Thanks for listening.